We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here on a Monday. Uh, He's got to do Monday and Wednesday this week. Uh, I am here, and from Skyman89, he wrote, What if Snyder sells the Commanders and purchases the Nationals? Skipper Dan would be a more accurate title if he owns the Nats. Meaning, I guess, skipping from one franchise to another. By the way, if Lavero can watch Stranger Things, he needs to get Game of Thrones. Just swallow your pride and watch one of the episodes, not about the fantasy dragons, but more so the character development. I agree with that, and I've pushed that for several years now. Love the show. Love the back and forth with random conversations about beers, babes, and pinball machines. Uh, thank you, Skyman89. You can rate us and review us on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you can rate and review us. Five stars, where if, if they allow up to that, and a quick uh, two-sentence review. Also, really important to follow us uh, on Apple and Spotify. There's a big follow button in the right-hand, upper right-hand corner of your iPhone when you're listening to the podcast on Apple. And if you if it's still a plus sign and says follow rather than following, click that and follow us. And then on Spotify, it's down the left side, kind of mid-level uh, on uh, your phone uh, uh, if you've got Spotify up. Um, that's important to follow us as well. We're getting lots of push from our uh, advertising partner to get people to follow us. We have a lot of followers. We've got a lot of uh, ratings and reviews, and they're all helping. So thank you very much. Um, speaking of random conversations, all right, how was Aretha? Aretha was very good. Did you see that somebody took a picture of me watching Aretha? No, no. On, somebody posted it on Twitter. The show hadn't started yet, and they took a picture of my back in the crowd, and they said, is this Tom Lavero? And it was. <laughs> no, really? And so it was, I'm yeah. in Baltimore. <laughs> I'm in Baltimore at the Hippodrome, and there's people taking my pictures. Uh, I mean, you know, you're Tom Lavero. I mean, uh, what I, I want to find this picture. I want to see where your seats were. Where were your seats? Uh, they were on the, uh, they were, they were decent seats. They weren't front row or anything like that, uh-huh. but they were good seats. Were they in the... The reason was great. It was good? 
Yeah. I mean, they didn't even get to all her songs. That's how big her songbook is. Mm. You know? And then they were there for three hours. Uh, so it was really good. And uh, the Hippodrome's a great place to see a show. I don't think I've been to the Hippodrome. I did. In fact, beautiful, I, I beautiful know I have been. Beautiful renovated theater. Oh, here, here's the picture. Yeah. Here's the picture. Yeah, that's Tommy, all right. <laughs> that is Tommy. Now, who? wait, where's? who are you sitting next to? Well, I'm sitting next to, uh, I think, Liz uh, didn't my go? son. Liz went. Oh, okay. Uh, and my son. Okay, you see, your son was and with you. The, I thought I, I thought it was yeah. just you and Liz. Okay. Um, no. Those aren't bad seats. They're in the orchestra section, right? Yeah, they're good, they're good seats. Yeah, they I were I was very bad. happy with them. Yeah, and it was a good yeah. show. Good for you. Um, show. By the way, one other quick um, uh, text to read, because I forgot to read this to you on Thursday. And that uh, came from my friend Jason, who said that the winner of the ESPN bracket contest, either last year or the year before, was nine years old. Um, So thank you, Jason, for reminding me and Tom of the conversation we had on Tuesday when Tom basically laughed me off the air saying, nine-year-olds don't play the bracket contest. Um, Yeah, they do. Uh, And a lot of you reached out to say, my son, we make it a family event. Um, I went to a show, and I'm going to tie this into a big story that came out of this weekend. I went to a show on Thursday night. I told you I was going down to the wharf, and I wasn't going to the Anthem, which I think is a great venue, phenomenal venue. I was going to Union Stage, which is, you know, right near the wharf, uh, right near the Anthem yes. on the wharf. And it's more of like a, a 500, 600 seat venue. And my son and his girlfriend, who have a band, um, were playing as the warm up uh, for the main event that night. And um, it usually. To get to the wharf, which, by the way, to get to Nats Park. I mean, you know, you go the same way. You go Independence to Main Avenue, you know, and, and you're there. Um, it usually from my house where I live now, for, for if I were to go to a Nats game on a weekend, it would literally take me 15 minutes to get to Nats Park. It would take me, you know, 11 minutes to get to the wharf. It okay. took us over an hour to get there on Thursday night. And the reason was the cherry blossoms. The cherry blossoms were in full bloom on Thursday night. And this is before all of the rain came in on Friday and Saturday. Man, we had some rain over the weekend. And I don't think I mentioned this on the show Friday because this would be something that I would mention just to Tommy. And that is, I can't believe how many, how much traffic there is, but what really makes the traffic awful is that people stop. We're on Independence Avenue, and people stop, and they get out with their car in the far right lane. Sometimes it's not even the far right lane, and they take pictures. Oh, my God. People, you can't stop traffic to get out. And, by the way, it's not a quick, like, let's jump out, and and it's it's a couple of pictures. It's, no, 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 you got to move over a little bit there. Honey, you got to move over there. Hey, Tommy, you got to get in between because you're, t- you know, you're shorter. And they get the whole thing, and it's like, I can't believe it. And people are honking, but then other people are doing it. And so it took us an hour to get to the wharf the other night. So I saw this um, tweet yesterday. 
Uh, it's from Tom Rousey, who works for ABC Channel 7. And he tweeted out yesterday, the worst cherry blossom traffic I have ever seen. They made Ohio Drive one-way eastbound this year, and I'm thinking they need to rethink that. Also, they had plans to close East Basin Drive near the... And he's just showing video of the traffic. Look, the blossoms are great, and it's part of what makes our city great, are the cherry blossoms. And I understand that this time of year, you don't want to be, if you don't have interest in the cherry blossoms or being a part of the cherry blossom event or parade or whatever it is that was down there yesterday, don't go down there this weekend. But people, you can't stop your car in the middle of traffic and get your family out and start taking pictures with the cherry blossoms in the background. You got to find a parking space to do that. Uh, did you contact the D.C. police and complain about it? I did. Who would you complain to? I did. Would that be like Capitol Police, D.C. Uh, police, um, Metro Police, Secret Service? Who would that be? Would it be Park Police? <laughs> Might be the Park Police. Park Police? Uh, I don't know I who you complain. You know, I'm not a big complainer when it comes to that. And I didn't roll down my window and scream because the people seem to be really excited about the opportunity. But uh, And they weren't the only ones. Um but the cherry blossoms looked great. And it really is, you know, on the way back Thursday night, we were driving, you know, you, 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 when you're coming down that one stretch, um, you know, towards Independence, the monument's right there, and it's lit up at night. And then you've got, you, by the way, the cherry blossoms just aren't on the Tidal Basin. I have a cherry blossom tree in front of my new house. I didn't realize that until this year. Somehow I just missed it last year. I mean, there are a lot of cherry blossom trees, a lot of cherry trees all over. I mean, the famous neighborhood in town where cars are lined up to drive through it every single spring is Kenwood. You know, Kenwood, Tommy, right off of River Road, that neighborhood was planted with all, you know, the entire neighborhood is lined with cherry trees. So people come in, and by the way, they stop and take pictures in that neighborhood, too. It must be great to live in that neighborhood. It's a rather pricey neighborhood, but it's it's beautiful in there, absolutely gorgeous. But uh, anyway, I don't know where I was going with this. I just wanted to complain about the cherry blossom traffic. But it is, you know... The drive back that night, just when the monuments lit up at night on a on a perfectly clear night, it was before the rains came in the next day, and then you got cherry blossoms. It's too bad we couldn't have captured that with the new ballpark. It's not a new ballpark anymore. Yes. You know? Yes, it is. It, it really is. You know, uh, you could see the Capitol building when the ballpark first opened, before they built all the uh, offices and and but condos. you had to be in the four hundred section to see it. I could see yeah, I could see it from the press box. Yeah, you had to be way uh, up high. The press box is really up high. Yeah, do you know? I, I've told you guys this before that the parking garages were supposed to be eight stories high, and they cut them down. They changed it to four stories high. Right. So the parking garages, I mean, would have blocked out everything. Hmm. So, yeah, it is a shame that you don't have that view. Um, so. Have you watched the movie Stillwater? Yes, with Matt Damon? Yes. About going to Russia, right? No, France, Marseille, yeah. France? Okay. Something like that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched it. Did you like the movie? Uh, it, I enjoyed it. I don't. It's not particularly memorable. I wouldn't put it on my list of anything. 
but I like Matt Damon usually in everything, so I liked it. Yes, yeah, so that movie came out with a lot of fanfare in 2021, like it had won some sort of an award in con or whatever. And then it got pretty much, I, this is my memory, I could be wrong, but it got universally panned, I think. It did not get really good scores. And for whatever reason, it was on this weekend, and I watched it. And, you know, I kind of picked it up like um, 20 minutes in, so I just went back and started it from the beginning. I thought it was a really good movie. But here's why I wanted to bring it up. Matt Damon is good in everything, and he plays this guy, Bill Becker, who is from Oklahoma, and his daughter, who was studying over in France, Um, is involved in a murder where she's convicted and she's sentenced to like 11 years in prison um, in uh, in a Marseille jail. Um, And she professes her innocence and he comes over and he's kind of an F up, you know, father and husband and the wife passed away and the grandmother kind of raised the daughter, but he's over there and he wants to figure out how to find the real killer Anyway, it's. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was a really good movie. I th- think the woman that played um, the uh, French woman who, with her daughter, took him in, helped him translate a lot of stuff early on, and then they become very close friends. I don't know what her name is. I forget what her name is. I waited for the credits to see it. But the daughter is what is why I bring up the movie. I liked the movie. Let me just tell you. I thought it was a really good movie. I mean, it's not the greatest movie of all time, but I thought it was good, really good. Um, the daughter, the entire time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, how do I know this girl who's playing, you know, his daughter who's, you know, this is five years. She's already been in prison four to five years. So if she's in college, she's supposed to be in her mid twenties, which I'm guessing she probably is pretty close to that in real life. And then it hit me finally at the end of the movie when I saw her name. She was the little girl from Little Miss Sunshine, which is a movie. Oh, okay. Abigail Breslin. That, she, that's a good movie. That's a great movie with uh, with yeah. Tony Collette and Steve Carell and um, yeah. who plays the uptight you know father? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Alan Arkin. Uh, no, Alan Arkin plays it? the the grandfather. Um, right, the grandfather. Who, play, who, who the plays father the father? Was. Paul Dano's in that movie. God damn, I can't yeah. think of the... Uh, let me pull this up. This is going to drive me nuts. But that that's a good movie. Yeah, but so that's, that's who plays Matt Damon's daughter is Abigail Breslin. But she's in her mid-20s now. She's every bit of her mid-20s because she was probably like 9 or 10 when she was in Little Miss Sunshine, right? Every, yes. So yes. that's got to be 15 years ago, every bit of it 15 years ago. And so, um, uh, Greg Kinnear, Greg Kinnear, played, okay. yeah, yeah. He, he was really good in that movie. He played that role perfectly. Um, but I thought the daughter was, uh, Abigail Breslin was great in this movie, Stillwater. I actually think she was as good as Matt Damon and well, Matt, Matt was, he was good in the movie. I thought I liked the movie. So it's a recommendation. Okay. If you haven't seen it, well, I guess it's now playing because I, I don't know what I was watching it on Showtime, something it popped up on. Um, I don't think it was HBO, but uh, I remember it got a lot of hype when it came out. I just had not watched it. 
Abigail Breslin's well, 26 years old. Little Miss Sunshine was made in 2006, Tommy. 17 years ago that movie came out. Wow. Speaking I'm, of movies, yeah. Uh, this weekend on Saturday, Saturday was my birthday. Happy birthday. It was it was my 69th birthday. Oh my god, wait, t- oh, Tommy, hold on. What's your um what's your sign? Uh, well, it used to be an Aries. I think they changed it. So you're not a Pisces? No, I, I was an Aries. I don't know what I am now. When was your, what day was your birthday? March 25th. Oh, March the 25th. same day as Aretha Franklin. March 25th. Okay. And Elton John. Okay, you just missed Howard me. Cosell. You just, oh, March 25th. Hold on. Give me the, give me the names that have your birthday. Aretha Franklin, Elton John, Wade Axton. Lee Mazzilli, and Howard Cosell. Wow. All right. Yeah, that's quite the list. There you go. So so on Saturday, to celebrate my birthday, we went to a place where I got a Monte Cristo sandwich. (laughs) Not just any Monte Cristo sandwich, Uh but the Bennigan's Monte Cristo sandwich. Okay? (laughs) Somebody, uh, one of our listeners pointed out to me, that there used to be a Bennigan's in Clarksburg uh, that I used to go to, mm-hmm. but it, it changed hands. It became called the Clarksburg Tavern, or they just changed the name, and they don't have the Bennigan's affiliation anymore. So I figured, well, that's the end of my uh, Monte Cristo and kind of forgot about it. Well, they alerted me to the fact that they kept the Monte Cristo the, on their menu. So we headed over there on Saturday for lunch, and it was Fabulous. The, the Monte Cristo was a good Monte Cristo? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was a religious experience. <laughs> and this is a so thing. What's the name of the place in Clarksburg? It's called, the, it's called the Clarksburg Tavern. Okay. Right along 355. Yeah, right. 355 uh, extended way out there. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. And then after, after that, we went to speaking in the movies. We went to the movie because it was a rainy, lousy day right. Saturday. Yeah, uh, we went to see Cocaine Bear. What's that? I'm not familiar. It's a movie based on a true story about some cocaine that got dropped from an airplane uh, many years ago. I guess maybe the '70s or '80s or whatever, and a bear got into it. Okay, and? that's pretty much, I think, the extent. <laughs> Of the true story. Okay. Okay. And so what happened? So after that, the whole movie is about how the bear becomes this, you know, this coke fiend and and wrecks havoc and eating people and destroying everything. It, it's what you would call a dark comedy, so to speak. Just a uh, high as a kite bear. Yes. Okay. And look, I didn't think it was that good. Uh, you know, some people loved it. It's different, that's for sure. But the sad part is, it's Ray Liotta's last movie. Oh, right. You told me about this, that, that his last it's, movie was coming out. Yeah, Cocaine Bear. I mean, they put in the end of the movie, in memorial, memory of Ray Liotta. If they really cared about his memory, they would have kept his name off the credits. Oh, it was that bad, huh? Well, just for, for a guy like Ray Liotta, who... You know, I know his career has fallen on hard times, but Cocaine Bear is, is your exit from this world. It's, it's, not, it's not that great. 
And so just, I wouldn't recommend it. It was it was a bad drop by um, um oh god what Tom Cruise in that movie American Made who was he playing what was the dude's name it's a, Barry it, something Bar, Barry Barry Seal good job Tommy there you go Barry Seal yeah. who was a uh, a drug runner um for um for for the Medellin gang and um and, and the whole operation that, that's a great that's a good movie. Cruise and American Made. Yeah, that gets made. lost. Absolutely. That, yeah, that that gets lost in his really good movies. I think. I don't think a lot of yeah. people know that. I mean, he got, you know, he, he he then starts working for the CIA. He's running stuff for the Contras. I mean, the whole thing was really good, and it's a tr- it's a true story. Um, yeah. Or you know, uh, to to a certain extent, it's a true story. All right, I have a question for you. Uh, we're going to get to basketball. We're going to get to the post story. We're going to get to. Um, something that junkies reported this morning about uh, another um, bid, apparently, that was $7 billion. But I have a question for you that was asked of me just 20 minutes before the show started by a friend of mine. We, I was catching up with a friend. He's like, what do you think happens? So I'm going to ask you. What do you think happens if Sam Howell has a pretty good season and they win like eight games or nine games? And they either are a seven seed and barely make the playoffs or they barely miss. But it's clear that Sam Howell, there's something there. Like, he's good enough. You know, he he accounts for, you know, 21 touchdown passes, another five rushing touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, 27 touchdowns on the year. The offense is much improved from where it's been. Um, and, you know... It appears as if they may have something in Sam Howell. He said, do you think that new ownership would keep Ron Rivera for at least the final year of his deal and try to see that one through? So I'll well, ask- this is the trap. This is the trap. This is, this, this is the, the, the trap that you don't want to be in. You know, you, you, you don't want the Redskins slash commanders limited success to mean more than it has in the past. Okay? I think a lot of that would depend on who's available to hire as a coach. Uh, well, it depends also on who ownership is and what they, you know, how they own a team. That's the most important well, thing. Well, yeah. Yes, know. it does. But I think yeah. any new owner is, is, is going to be inclined to clean house and I think it's going to take a lot not to do that. And I think with the coaching situation, it really could. De- like if if you have another situation where somehow a Sean Payton is available again, well, he's not going to be caliber next year. Of, uh, that caliber of coach, okay, is available to hire. Mm-hmm. Then I think it really doesn't matter what Ron Rivera does. You you said something there. You said by definition. Um, you said you said um, that you know you know it's a trap that you don't want to get into thinking that it means more than it does, and I think by definition, if Sam Howell played well and there was promise at the quarterback position, it actually would mean more than the past. It would be t- completely different than the past, at least the very recent past, because you would have hope at quarterback, and you haven't had hope at quarterback in a while now. So that's... Okay. Uh, let's, say, let's say that success 
gets attributed to Eric Bieniemy and his presence. Mm-hmm. Does he get hired as the new head coach then? <laughs> well, um, I mean, you know, it's kind of in hindsight the mistake they made by not just hiring Sean McVay um, when he was on the staff. Uh, I don't know. That that's I didn't think about that part of it. So that's a good um, wrinkle. Like if Eric Bieniemy clearly got the credit for developing Sam Howell and the offense was so much better that, you know, they won nine games. And by the way, if the offense is so much better and it's totally obvious that they got the steal in the 2022 draft in Sam Howell, well, then they're going to win more than eight or nine because their defense is really good. They'll win 10 and they'll be in the playoffs. I'm I I mean what was posed to me was what if it's just really you know this goes back to the 2019 season when Jay you know you you and I were having the debate as to whether or not it would be better for Jay Gruden to just start Dwayne Haskins from the beginning and if he wants to stick around develop that relationship with Dwayne and develop Dwayne and by the end of the 2019 season even if you're 6 and 10 you won 4 out of your final 7 and Dwayne looked like the real deal then that was kind of Jay's ticket to stick around he decided not to go with that, but he decided not to go with that because I think they knew they had the wrong guy. <laughs> like, there wasn't anything yeah. there that was ready to be played and, and competed with. Um, so, uh, if... Uh, okay. The anime is a real wild card in this. You yeah, know? because... I mean, it, I, go ahead. No, it's true because... Last week when we talked about this, we talked about sort of the competing interests here. Like, is this year more important for Ron Rivera or Eric Bieniemy? I I think I suggested to you last week that it's more important for Eric Bieniemy because Ron Rivera, he's not going to coach again when this thing ends here. I don't think he is. I think that'll be it for Ron Rivera. I think he will have made enough money, and I think, you know, he survived cancer, and I think this is either his last year in coaching or 2024, the fifth year of this deal, is his last year in coaching, unless he turns it all around. If Ron Rivera, if this season doesn't go well, Ron Rivera's done. If this season doesn't go well for Eric Bieniemy, he'll never get a chance to be a head coach. This is a crucial year for Eric Bieniemy. I would agree. I would agree. And here's the thing. He's such a, a wild card in this. Uh, I, I've never met Eric Bieniemy, you know, but from seeing him in a press conference and reading interviews with him, he's a pretty forceful personality. Definitely. You know? And uh, I'll be interesting to see how that works on the staff uh, as they move forward. Uh, you know, somebody's going to have to take a back seat. There's... There's not enough. Uh, there's not enough of that space available in, in probably in the coaches' room. There's a limited amount of space, so somebody's going to have to lose their type A space to make room for Eric Bieniemy. I think, I doubt that Scott Turner was a type A kind of guy. Nope, I okay. agree. Totally agree. So, they have so a completely the different enemy, personality in the room, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, so Bieniemy. I mean, if they're successful, I think I think there'll be an inclination 
to give the credit to Eric Bieniemy, and then there'd be a groundswell to hire the, the guy who, you know, the the minority head coach, the guy who was tur- passed over so many times before. That's a great story, you know. I mean, if if that happens, uh, I think Eric Bieniemy could be your next head coach. I also think the Eric Bieniemy thing, if we didn't talk about this last week already, is interesting from this perspective. Because this is such a crucial year for Eric Bieniemy, we both agree on that. Then he's going to play the guy that gives him the best chance to win and have his offense look good. Which is why, and if and, and if if my belief and 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 information is correct, he's going to make the call on everything on the offense. And so, if it's totally obvious over the summer, into preseason games, that. Jacoby Brissett can run his offense and is ready to run his offense and they're ready to look good offensively with Brissett running the offense, it's going to be hard for him to play a guy that maybe he can make at the end of the year look like a guy that really developed him into something. Yes. Yeah, look, I, I think, uh, and uh, this is like the Carson Wentz, Taylor Heineke thing, not quite the same, but similar. I think Jacoby Brissett will be their starting quarterback. I mean, his first game of the season. <laughs> that's such a, I, I just don't such think, a I, Tommy I, move I just right don't, there. I just don't <laughs> think that, like I said before, if Jacoby Brissett can't beat out Sam Howell in training camp, then Jacoby Brissett isn't the quarterback we all think he is. Well, I, I don't know what we all think he is. I mean, I think he's not, you know... I, I think he's better than what they've had, but I don't think he's that good. Like he's, no, you no, know. but exactly. I agree with that. And I think that with, with 78 uh, NFL games under his belt, including 48 starts or whatever like that, uh, if he can't beat out Sam Howell, then, then he, he is a true journeyman. Yeah. All right. Um Here's the other thing that I I wanted to ask you. This was something that came up on the radio show this morning, and we took calls on it for a little while. So Cody Benjamin of CBS Sports wrote a story about 14 veteran players who could be traded before or during the upcoming 2023 NFL draft. And one of those players um, was Montez Sweat. And he wrote, in an ideal world, Sweat would build on a promising pass-rushing resume to earn a mega extension in Washington. But the commanders are already paying top dollar to fellow D-linemen Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, and Chase Young is also on board. With 29 sacks in five seasons and a career-high 28 QB hits in 2022, he could fetch premium compensation potentially for a future quarterback splash, even entering a contract year. His departure would also save Washington an immediate $11.5 million. So I asked the question of callers, um, would you trade either Chase Young or Montez Sweat, and if so, which one? Before you answer that, I think it's really important to to, dis, to discuss why this is even a, a conversation, and it's really kind of a twofold answer. Um, one is you can't afford to pay all four of these guys, and we've known that for a while. One of them wasn't going to get paid. Number two is this: you don't want to get stuck 
with a compensatory pick for either one of these two guys as they leave you via unrestricted free agency. Wes Martin just apparently signed with the Cleveland Browns. Wes Martin's been here three out of the last four years. Wes Martin was a fourth-round draft choice in 2019 by the Redskins, along with um, Bryce Love, who was actually a player that day I predicted Washington would take because I had heard that they really liked him and was a big-time running back at Stanford but was coming off serious injuries, which is why he slipped to, to the fourth round, and he never was able to regain no. um, you know, function in that knee. Um, and so those two picks in the fourth round that year came after they traded a third-rounder, traded down in the draft to Buffalo to get the additional fourth. Um, and that third rounder was the compensatory pick for losing Cousins. So they ended up, with Cousins gone, getting Wes Martin in Bryce Love. So that's why you have to be ahead of these things. That's why when you have a hunch that you may not have a player, that you may lose a player to unrestricted free agency, you have to strike while the iron's hot, and you've got to get more than what you would get in a compensatory pick. Washington, obviously, in 2017, they were stupid, as they were and have been for a quarter century. They had an opportunity to trade Kirk Cousins after they realized that their offer wasn't going to be close to good enough, nor they should have known that going in, and that he wasn't going to take $35 million less to stay in this shithole of a place. They should have traded him, and they had an opportunity to trade him to the San Francisco 49ers for, at the very least, number two overall in the first round. Jay Gruden claims it was more than that. Mike Shanahan told me it was number two overall. So they didn't do that, and you ended up with Wes Martin and Bryce Love. You can't do that with Sweat and Chase Young. You've got to be proactive when it comes to these two players. And if you know right now that it's too expensive to pay both of them, well, now is the time to think about it. And I think that's what Cody Benjamin was going through the exercise doing. He's like, you can't keep all four of these guys, and you just extended two of them in the last two years. So what are you going to do? So I'll ask you, should you trade either one of them, and if so, which one? Boy, this this is really a tough one. Uh, Because I'm not a huge Chase Young fan. I know. Uh, And, uh, but, I mean, you've got to see him a little bit more coming back from this knee injury. I think before you can make the judgment as to uh, how he's going to perform. So uh, when do you have to make this decision? This is important. Well, when do you have to decide? Well, right now Montez Sweat is scheduled to make you know eleven and a half million dollars playing on his fifth year option. Chase Young is going into his fourth year. He's under contract to get the fifth-year option year, which would be 2024 for him. You've got to pick up that option by May 1st, right when the draft ends. But well, he's, they're going to pick up the option. Well, Ron Rivera already told you that he's contemplating, you know, hasn't made a decision on whether or not they'll pick up the option. Okay. Which I, okay. Said, I told you at the time, I thought that was stupid to say that publicly. Especially if yeah, there was the a whole, possibility the whole you wanted thing to trade. Yeah. The whole thing was stupid saying, you know, look look what Deron Payne did. 
You know, he had to play right. good to get paid, and he did. <laughs> you know, the whole, the whole thing is ridiculous. But uh, but when do you have to decide to trade these guys? Well, you'd is want it the trading deadline for next season, no, for no. this coming season. No, well, you can tr- you can trade people whenever. You know, I mean, the, the issue is you'd want to trade him before the draft so you could get compensation in this draft for him. No, I'm not trading either of those guys before the draft. Okay. So, I'm not doing that. Well, then you go into next year, and both of these guys are playing for you. And if you didn't pick up the fifth-year option, both of these guys would be eligible for unrestricted free agency at the end of the year where you would get nothing but a compensatory pick back. So let me let – right, me... Well, I'm thinking you picked you, – yeah, but you picked up the option on Sweat. On Sweat you did, yes. Yes. Right. And that's, but you still have the option to sign him to a long-term deal. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the guy you decide to move on from, um, the other guy's going to get paid to stay. I think. Right. I mean, you know, like Ben said to me, Ben's the one that for two years has been saying um, they can't pay all four of these guys. Eventually, one of them's not going to be here. And he's right. I'm pretty sure he's right. And so Ben actually suggested, could they take a defensive end at number 16 in the draft? Well, the answer is, yeah, they could. If a, if a pass-rushing defensive end is the number one player on their board at 16, they might take that player and then immediately trade like Montez Sweat for a second rounder. Um, but let me just let me give you my answer on this. So you know that I have questions about Chase Young because I know they have questions about Chase Young. So that's, you know, they're they're clearly not sure about Chase Young. And it goes beyond the injury. You know, uh, just, it's not necessarily character issues. One of my callers called and said, are you suggesting character issues? It's not that. It's not that he's a bad guy. But let's go back to after his rookie of the year defensive um, season. He didn't show up for one OTA day. Now, a lot of people say not a big deal, and to a certain extent, it's not that big of a deal. But for Ron Rivera, he had 89 of the 90 players that would go to training camp there for OTAs. And the one player that didn't show up for any of them was the player they had slapped the C on his chest, and that was Chase Young. And they were pissed. And then he had this season in 2021 before the injury where all we heard about was maturity and adhering to the scheme and playing within the scheme. And we know that a lot of that was directed towards Chase Young. Then he has this very serious injury, not the run of the mill ACL, a lot of stuff involved. And he chooses to do his rehab in Colorado. Now, the team apparently was not happy about that, but apparently the rehab went well. And we know from that report card that the team got that, you know, it's totally within Chase Young's right, and it may have been the right decision for him not to rehab here and to rehab elsewhere. You know, they, they didn't get high marks here in town for almost anything, training in, in particular. Um, so uh, I think that the Chase Young... Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio relationship is the most important thing here. And I don't know if they've made up their mind that this guy is somebody they want to move on from, that they don't believe in anymore. And I'm going beyond the injury 
And by the way, I'm taking the injury into consideration because I don't know. He looked healthy to me at the end of the year. I actually thought he showed similar explosive athleticism at the end of the year. But if they really aren't going to pick up the fifth-year option because they aren't sure that he's going to be worth what they spent on him, number two overall, then they should trade him right now. Now, I don't know what you can get back for Chase Young coming off that injury. I don't know if you can get a first-rounder back for him. You know, and so that would be part of the calculus here, just like it would be with Sweat as well. But, you know, the one thing, Tommy, and I know that there haven't been a lot of compliments towards Ron Rivera here in recent months or even recent years, but the one thing that he has done, okay, or focused on more than anything else, is that he doesn't want to coach children. He wants mature adults in his locker room. And I do think, and I know I've said this before, but I think he gets credit for a locker room that's a lot different than than the locker rooms of the past. You know, there is a more mature type of player. There are more mature leaders on this team. And if they don't think that Chase Young is a true adult that's coachable, then and they don't think it's going to change, then they should move on from him now. I think Montez Sweat's a good player. I wish he had more sacks. I wish he had a couple of double-digit sack seasons in his last, you know, in his third and fourth year. Instead of, you know, eight and nine sacks, I wish it was 13 and 14. But I still think he's a good player. I think he's outstanding against the run. I think he can be disruptive at times as a pass rusher. I think he's a good player. And, And not that he's at Deron Payne's level, because I said about Deron Payne, if you have a great player, and he's one of the three best players on your roster, you keep him, period. And I think Montez Sweat has the, you know, at times is certainly a top five, top six, top seven player on the team on the team with a lot of potential to be much higher than that. I don't want to see Chase Young go. I want to see him fulfill the talent that we saw his rookie year and certainly what, you know, I and others saw, uh, you know, watching him as a college player. Okay. But, but, but you but, cannot but, afford to get a compensatory pick for either one of these players. Okay. Uh, here's what might come into play. And it normally does. Who is Chase Young's guy? Who drafted him? Who has their reputation staked on Chase Young in part? Rivera. I mean, Ron, Ron, yeah, Ron didn't draft Montez Sweat. Nope. That's the previous regime. Right. Okay, this was Ron's first big draft pick, number two yeah. in the draft. And if they trade him, he's admitting they screwed up. The biggest, one of the biggest personnel decisions they had to make, and they got it wrong. Guys generally don't like to do that. They usually will stick with and protect the people that they drafted and selected. So that's why I don't think Chase Young's going anywhere, no matter how frustrated they are with him. Well, then you think they'll pick up his fifth-year option? Yes. Because in many ways, if you don't pick up his fifth-year option, it's also an admission that you fucked it up in 2020. Yes. I don't think that's good. I think they're going to pick up the option. I'm not sure they're going to pick up the option, but if you told me I had to wager on it today, I'd say they probably pick up the option. (laughs) Which means that Montez Sweat would be the one that they probably, if they made a trade, would look to trade him. But he's the one that I actually think they enjoy coaching. 
along with Duran and John. And by the way, I understand the mindset of not admitting you're wrong on a big thing like that, like that's a really big thing. But the best coaches are the, are the ones that are capable of admitting that they got it wrong and cutting bait much sooner and trying to get the most back for it rather than sitting there and being saddled with something that you know now won't work um, to try to save face. Uh, so if they really don't think it will work with him here anyway, then they should look at trading him. But I also think it's you know a little bit complex because you don't really know what you could get back for him because of the injury and because you went out publicly and said he needs to be basically incentivized with a contract year to play well and you might not pick up his fifth-year option. Um, I also want to just reiterate what I said last week. There is something that makes sense if they're not sure about Chase Young about not picking up the option because they would oh, they would always at the end of next season have the option of franchising him um, if they wanted to go uh, that route, if he blew up and had a huge fourth season. By the way, imagine that. He's entering yeah. his fourth season already. Montez Sweat is entering his fifth season. I loved Sweat coming out in that draft. I like Sweat the player. I really do. Um, one last thing, and then we're going to get to the post story and something the junkies reported, and we'll talk some hoops as well. Um, in the updated post, you know, first few weeks of free agency, NFL power rankings on ESPN.com, Washington drops from 18 to 22. And so just to give you an idea, um, in the NFC East, uh, the Eagles were four, the Cowboys were eight, and the Giants were 18. Washington's the 10th best NFC team. I mean, these things don't mean anything, I understand. But if you know, this is going to give you a sense of where Washington, they're going to be universally picked dead last in the NFC East going into this season. And no one's going to have them, even in a very weakened overall NFC I don't see anybody really having them as a predicted, you know, wild card team. Now, no. some people out there like Sam Howell a lot, and they may say Washington could be the surprise team. Um, and others, by the way, like Jacoby Brissett, uh, top of the yes. top under the radar move for Washington in the off season, signing Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, they did a good job with that one. Huh. Gives them some ability speaking, to be a competitive team if if if, if Sam Howell is speaking the of quarterback. Speaking of quarterback, there's news that's breaking right now. Uh, Lamar Jackson on his Twitter account, uh, basically uh, about less than an hour ago, tweeted, In regards to my future plans, as of March 2nd, I requested a trade from the Ravens organization, for which the Ravens have not been interested in meeting my value. Any and everyone that's met me, or been around me knows I love the game of football, and my dream is to help a team. So he said, and I don't think this has been reported, that he's asked for a trade. Um, I mean, you know, what Schefter... I mean, people what, are speculating it. What Schefter, reported, but, uh, what Schefter reported a few weeks ago that the Ravens had offered $175 million guaranteed for injury, $200 million in total guarantees, um, you know, not that, when, that, when you see that, $175 guaranteed for injury uh, is what's really guaranteed. 
I don't know how he turned that down. I don't know that anybody's going to get close to that, Tommy. And to trade well, to, to trade for him, to you're going to have to pay for him. Well, yeah, now he's... It sounds to me like, look, he's already been franchised, uh, and he got franchised with the non-exclusive, which by definition means the Ravens are okay with teams coming after you and making an offer. Okay, so in essence, that's the trade, the two first-rounders for whatever you'd sign an offer sheet for if you sign it. But no one's come forward with an offer sheet. So no one's going to come forward to trade for him until he gets reasonable about the deal that he wants and he's able to, you know, negotiate with whomever it is, himself or his mother, but they apparently you got to have a certified NFL agent. You can't have old Ken Francis or whatever the guy's name is out there looking for deals, which is what we heard last week too. So yeah. far, we are a week and a half or whatever into this, and he's not had one offer sheet presented to him. So, that's been reported. Now. So he can publicly come out and demand a trade or request a trade, which is the breaking news. But basically, the Ravens have invited another team to come in and give him his price, and nobody has yet. And as of now, if he wants to play football next year, he's going to have to play for the Baltimore Ravens at $32.4 million under the non-exclusive franchise tag. Or he's going to have to sign a deal that they offer because nobody else seems willing to make him an offer. Um, that story keeps getting crazier and crazier for sure. Yes. Okay. Uh, we got other football to get to. And um, basketball to get to, and we'll start that process right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's. Well, one thing I haven't discussed about Shelly's, if you're a cigar aficionado, are the private humidors that they have available for annual leases. They have over 200 humidors available for leases. They're located on the walls of both dining rooms, and they have, you have an easy access to your cigars and preserve them so they'll be at their peak when you want to smoke them. Now, I, I, I met before our D.C. Gray's fundraiser, Cigars and Curveballs, is going to be May 22nd, a Monday at Shelley's Back Room. And the owner, 
Bob Matarazzi and his generosity usually puts up a humidor, an annual one-year lease for a humidor for bidding as part of the auction. Uh, and actually, in the past, Mike Rizzo right. has wound up winning, yeah. winning that bid for, for the, the humidors. Uh, you can download the lease agreement on their website, and uh, the humidors in the dining room where we hold our vent are bigger than the ones in the original dining room. But, look, it's almost like a status symbol of sorts. I know DeMora Smith has had uh, a humidor there. The president of NASCAR has had a humidor there. Uh, You can walk and you can smoke in that same neighborhood and have your own private stash right there at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. Uh, great spot, and I'm sure um, it's a perfect spot, by the way, if you uh, you only have maybe not even today. Maybe the cherry blossoms are done now. But if you're down with, you know, in traffic uh, with people getting out taking pictures of the cherry blossoms, just get on the other side of the road and take an Uber to Shelley's. And, uh, yeah. and and have your wife drive through the traffic, because that's what Tommy would do. Um, all right. There was a story this morning in the Washington Post. Daniel Snyder has declined to be interviewed in the Mary Jo White investigation. Uh, and that um, she has tried to interview him, but he has declined interviewing for um, that investigation, which may be one of the reasons the investigation is still ongoing. Who knows? Um, by the way, I pulled this up, Tommy, from a year ago because we were talking about this last week that the Mary Jo White investigation is 13 months old. When I pulled up the story last week to read about the day that, that you know the NFL took the investigation away from Washington, who initially wanted to do the investigation, um, I wanted to find out how long this investigation has been going on. It's 13 months going back to February 18th of 2022. But in that story, when the NFL announced that Mary Jo White investigate uh, Mary Jo White was going to investigate the Tiffany Johnston allegations, um, there was um, this from the team. The team's statement: "Quote: The Washington Commanders are pleased that the NFL has appointed Mary Jo White to look into the recent allegations made by Tiffany Johnston. The Commanders have always been intent on having a full and fair investigation of this matter conducted, and to releasing the results of that." investigation. Given the team's confidence in Miss White's ability to conduct such a full and fair investigation, the commanders will not separately pursue an investigation and will cooperate fully with Miss White. <laughs> so here we are. So here we are today yep. with the Post reporting that he's declined to talk to Mary Jo White. Now let me just tell you that Neil in Rockville this morning had a really plausible reason for why he's declining. Once the financial allegations became a part of the Mary Jo White investigation and a criminal complaint was filed in the Eastern District of Virginia, at that point, for all intents and purposes, he could potentially incriminate himself in a criminal case by speaking to Mary Jo White. And he thinks, and, and by the way, Neil's been telling me a while, for a while now, especially after that Eastern District uh, case, that no way will Snyder, so Snyder's lawyers let him talk to Mary Jo White if, he's, if he hasn't talked to her already. So that may be a legitimate reason for him not talking to her. But anyway, that was the story this morning in the Post. What did you think? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. If he has... Uh... You know, criminal liability hanging over his head 
in a, in this particular situation, then uh, I, I could certainly understand why he doesn't want to talk to to Mary Jo Mary Jo White. But again, this this, this it's, you know, I mean, the NFL can't interview one of its owners because he may incriminate himself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, because you can't you, know, that, you can't that, plead that the fifth. Everything you can't plead about the fifth. You can't plead the fifth in a criminal investigation if you've already talked to Mary Jo White about these same issues. So that's right. Well, the yeah. NFL has pledged that they would make those that 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 investigation public. Right. Right. And now, yeah. and now, what we're headed towards, perhaps, is by the way, let's not let's not forget that maybe the NFL. You know, promise to make. Uh, well, you know, Goodell's kind of been promising all along, even after the Jason Friedman allegations. But you know, those Jason Friedman allegations might expose the NFL for something too. Who knows? But the point is yeah. here is if she doesn't interview Dan, I mean, how much of 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 a complete investigation can it be? What will she release? At that point, I mean, I don't know. It's it's. Maybe if I don't know what maybe if the team is sold, that, I don't know. maybe if the team is sold, the league just says, "Well, it's no longer relevant. He's not an owner in the league." We promise to make the findings of that Mary Jo White investigation transparent and and make them available to everybody because Dan was an owner in the league. He's not an owner in the league anymore. Maybe the single biggest reason they're just holding, telling her not to finish this thing and and not to you know conclude the investigation, along with not being able to interview him. You know, given the NFL's history, I would bet there, there's no way, you know, given their lack of, of sympathy towards victims, there's, there's no way the NFL is going to say, well, even though Dan has sold the team, we feel obliged to the victims to go ahead and continue with this investigation. That's not going to happen. They're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if Mary Jo White, though, went into this thing uh, maybe unlike Beth Wilkinson, and only took the gig based on an agreement that her results would be made public. Well, you know, she investigated Jerry Richardson, right? Uh, in that thing, and one of her recommendations that was reported, I think, by Yahoo Sports, was that she recommended to Goodell that uh, the NDAs, when these kinds of investigations occur. They need to be waived, right? And that needs to be a league rule. Well, that didn't happen. So, Goodell already did not follow her recommendations from her last investigation into an NFL owner, and she may not be happy about that. You know that she was ignored the first time around. I wonder if Snyder and I think did I ask Neil this? I forget this morning. I wonder if Snyder can just you know, be interviewed her by her for just the Tiffany Johnston allegations and nothing related to Jason Friedman and his allegations. Well, they can't force him to answer. 
No, but yeah. he was willing from the very jump. Remember when they took this invest when they took the investigation over or initiated the right. investigation with Deborah Wong or whoever was you know who they were going to hire to do the investigation until the league took it back you know an hour and a half after they made that announcement that the first promise was we will fully cooperate uh, we and and we will make the findings of this particular allegation public because I think they knew from the beginning either a they weren't true or B, they were impossible to prove. Well, you see, I don't I don't agree with you. I know you do. There's a witness. Yeah, the witness Jason is Jason Friedman. Friedman who's lied under oath previously. Oh, what? Oh, what? And, and that's also he Jason said he Friedman. said all this no, the whole thing, the Virginia Attorney General, the Maryland Attorney General, the District Attorney General, all that exists because of Jason Freeman's allegations. I, I know that. That, paid, that's not and, what we're talking they about. Paid a quarter million, they paid a quarter million dollar fine to the Maryland, uh, to the state of Maryland because of those allegations. By the way, let me make clear: he was not a witness to the Tiffany Johnston allegation number one about the hand over the, no. on the thigh. He was an no. he, he was no, a the, the he was a witness to the coerce, coercing her or cajoling her into his limousine. That's what he claims yes. he saw. Yeah, right. So there is a witness, and there's yeah. a witness whose testimony so far has created this whole shitstorm. Yeah, it started by the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Yes. Um, I'm just saying that the Tiffany Johnston allegation was an allegation that from the jump, they felt very comfortable that it was either not provable or that he was innocent. And by the way, I I thought you were going to say the following that you are going to say, it doesn't really matter. You know, I don't agree with you, Kevin, because Mary Jo White can still state in her conclusion that while there isn't proof, she believes the alleged victim. Well, um, of course she can, yes. yes that, she, that has been yes, the way she, things have gone right, you, with these kind of cases you in can the past do that. five or six years. You can do that, but you, yes. can't, but you can't lose your team for that. You can't? No. No. You can't lose your team really? without proof that you actually committed the crime. It's the oh, I think you can lose your team if the conclusion of the report is that he did it. Yeah. No, no. the conclusion of the report with proof that he did it, yes. But, with, but an opinion oh. that she believes the alleged victim, no. He couldn't lose his team for that. Oh, I, th- I think... And I, we've already had reports could. here in recent days that there isn't even three-quarters vote right now to vote him out. After That's everything else. This is a, look. This is early in the process. It's you know, they don't even have, early. I mean, he hasn't even been interviewed yet. Yeah, he. I, I, well, we're never going to find this now, out. If she concludes, but, if she concludes mm-hmm. that she believes that he did this, they can take the team away from him. I disagree. They can take completely. the team away from him for less than that. Oh, I disagree with you completely. That is, that's such a he said, she said, regardless of an investigator who comes to the conclusion that she believes the alleged victim without proof. There's no way they could take away his team if he vehemently denied that they ever happened despite the conclusion of an investigation with an opinion without proof. No way. I don't believe that. Oh, I think absolutely could. Well, give me an example when that's happened. Um, We don't have an example in the NFL because no no owners ever been voted out. We've, already, we've talked about no. this from the beginning, that it would take real, real damage to the league. It would take a real serious allegation that's proven 
to get an NFL no. owner ousted. No. No owner's ever been voted out. They've never I taken a vote on an owner. And the reporting here that. recently is that with everything that's been going on with this, that they still don't have three-quarters of a vote. No, they don't. But I would okay. say it's still early in that process to build a case. First, you have to have an owner be willing to make the, to make the charge in the first place to remove him. Then there's got to be an investigation into that. It's a lengthy process. To vote an owner out? Yes. So when you say we're early in the process, we're early in the process of voting him out if he chooses not to sell? Yes. Okay. Just want to be clear on that. We're Hopefully, God, God help us if we get to the point where he chooses not to sell and then we're into this long process of them trying to vote him out. But if they do, if we ever get to that, which I don't think we ever will, I don't think that they will vote him out based on a Mary Joe White investigation that produces only, and by the way, let's just say that he's exonerated of everything else, the financial implications, everything else, and it just comes down to didn't have any proof that he put his hand on her thigh or that he cajoled her into the limousine, but I think that I believe her. No chance he would ever get voted out for that, in my opinion. Yeah, I know that, but you presented worst-case scenario, and since... The, the financial uh, worst case scenario for are likely me. going. We want him to sell. Are likely going to be proven. Yeah, but that that scenario is not going to happen. Yeah, but but we're not talking about that. You're saying that he would get voted out. You're for, saying if they found out nothing else right. about the investigation was accurate. Right. Well, I'm saying that's very unlikely. I know that. I'm just trying to separate what you were saying. You were saying that he could be like if none if none of this other stuff happened. And it was just Tiffany Johnston's allegations. And they were investigated. And at the end of the and by the way, no other issues at all with Dan. And we came down to Tiffany Johnston says that he put his hand on her, on her thigh underneath a table at a dinner table and then tried to, uh, to coerce her into his limousine. And Mary Jo White said, I don't have proof that that happened, but I do believe Tiffany Johnston. That's my opinion. I believe Tiffany Johnston. If that was the only thing, I do not think that he could get voted out for that, and you think he could. Well, I think, again, his credibility is zero. Yeah, but again, you. I'm trying to separate all that because you seemed adamant. But you can separate that, it. But you, you seemed adamant that he could absolutely be voted out for just her opinion if that was a standalone item. Uh, but, by the way, no, I didn't say it was a standalone okay. item. Okay, all right. Now you it's not keep standalone. saying that. Okay. Do you? I mean, I, I every other show, I keep going back and I slip in all the things you say you didn't say at the end of the segment that you did say. Like, what was the other one? You said I can't even remember. Item. Well, no, you said, said of course an owner could be... investigation. You said, of course he could be voted no, out. this owner. This owner. Okay. All right, fine, then. That's fine. Let me just also make clear. It wouldn't... The, the part that would be upsetting to me would be that we got to this point and he didn't sell the team. Because this is really, hopefully, a conversation that is here on this show today and we never have to have again because he sells the team in the next week or two. Because if he doesn't sell the, the team in the next week or two, well, then, you know, like you said, we are probably in for a lengthy process to see whether or not they would be able to conjure up 
three-quarters of a vote for any of this stuff to get him out? Well, he's got buyers lining up to buy his team, so that should happen pretty quickly. <laughs> Apparently so. So let's get to that. Um, the Junkies this morning, and let me make sure I get this right. The Junkies this morning reported, because my producer Denton told me during a break towards the end of the show, that the Junkies reported that Brian Davis, uh, we'll tell you who he is in a moment, Brian Davis made an offer of $7 billion to Dan Snyder to buy the team. Now, Brian Davis, my first question to him during the break is, who's Brian Davis? And he said, I think he played college. And I said, that Brian Davis? The Duke Brian Davis? The Brian Davis that was Christian Leitner's best friend? They've been in business together? And I said, I think I said on the air, and I didn't. this was not meant to be you know, um, I just didn't know. I thought they owned a piece of the women's soccer team in town, the uh, Spirit, I think they're called. Um, but as it turns out, they own a piece of the DC United. Apparently, Brian Davis has had some success in business, not billions worth of success, but some success in business. And I just said, well, how can he afford the team? Now, apparently, they said he's put together a group of billionaires. To buy the team. By the way, Tommy, I was thinking about this after um, my radio show this morning. If this is true, okay, which seems like a stretch to me that Brian Davis could put together a group to make an offer of $7 billion. Um, but maybe you're going to be right about Jordan because maybe Jordan and Leitner, and remember, Leitner was here when Jordan owned the team. And I was yes. also thinking about, and I didn't ask you this last week. Jordan, growing up in the Carolinas, do you think he was a Redskins fan? May have been. So I mean, that was the only football team between there and Atlanta. Right. Well, I mean, we have so many Carolina listeners to this podcast right yes. now. Um, yeah. yeah. So, anyway, I, I don't... This was a name that completely if, came out of... If you, <laughs> if you Google Brian Davis, you're going to find the only stories you come up with are... Court, lawyers, and lawsuits. Right. What did Those he do? Those are going to be the three key words. Didn't he and Leitner get, uh, get I mean, accused of defrauding people at some point? Well, here's the headline of a 2012 story. Ex-Timberwolves Leitner Davis again avoid jail time over Dawkins' debt. You don't want jail time to be in a headline uh, about yourself. You know, I mean, he at one point tried to buy the Memphis Grizzlies, and, uh, you know, that turned out to be a disaster. And Scottie Pippen sued Davis after a bid to buy the Grizzlies imploded because they didn't have the money. (laughs) Pippen helped finance the bid but never got his money back. And a judge ruled uh, at one point, that they owe Pippen two and a half million dollars. And I, I, when was this story written? Two thousand six. This story I think? was two thousand. This was two thousand twelve. Oh, okay. Okay. Written in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, but there have been articles as late back as two thousand sixteen, two thousand nineteen, about their financial prob- about his financial problems, and debts and lawsuits. I just I, I find this incredulous. 
Well, I think and highly suspect. Well, one thing that you've shed some light on, because I'm now looking at a story from October 1st, 2006, former Duke basketball player Brian Davis has reached an agreement to purchase Michael Heisley's 70% majority share of the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, the uh, the source told the newspaper that the contract to sell the Grizzlies estimates the team's value. I didn't even realize like he was playing in these kinds of circles. I mean, that's back in 2006. Maybe he has a massive investor group capable of making a legitimate offer. Because one of the first things I thought of was, well, maybe he's a part of the Harris offer. You know, maybe he's a new add to the Harris offer, like him and a bunch of limited partners. Um, but you're right. Eventually, they didn't get the Grizzlies because they couldn't come up with the money to buy it. Yeah, here's the 2016 report. Uh, according to a former business partner who filed a claim in a lawsuit, uh, the real estate company owned by Leitner and Davis is a house of cards built on self-dealing and empty promises. This is 2016. Yeah. I mean, can you can you imagine that? Billionaires doing their due diligence and lining up to do business with this guy? I'd be shocked. Well, beyond that, would he even be approved as, you know, as even a limited partner in the offer? By the league, I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. The guy guy from Flying J owns the Browns. I forget if he bought. That's true. You're right. You're right. And he, he, he was almost. He was almost put in federal jail. The people who worked for him were. <laughs> yeah. Here's something. God, there's a lot in here. January 27th, 2016. This is probably the one that you just uh, read. Yeah. To, to, yeah. Leitner and Brian Davis's real estate company built on a house of cards. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know anything about Brian Davis. You know, I don't know anything writer. about Brian yeah. Davis either, except... I don't know anything except what I read on the internet, hon, and it don't look good. <laughs> um, the, so, uh, a, a lot of you and I and I've seen it, and, I, and it's legitimate to say you, you kind of intimated that this thing was going to be over much sooner rather than later, like it was imminent. And Tommy had heard some of the same things, and a lot of people had been reporting it. But I, I mentioned it last week. Look, here's what I was told over the weekend. All right, um, that. The Gasparino tweets, Tommy, did I read those with you on Thursday or was that a Friday thing? The Charles Gasparino stuff about Bezos. No, we did that together on Thursday. Um, when Gasparino uh, tweeted out on Thursday that, uh, that Dan was now open to you know allowing Bezos to bid on the team and they've, ex- they've communicated right. that to Bezos and they've never had a problem with Bezos and, oh, by the way, way the owners aren't forcing Dan out. You know, the last part of that is just you know, him trying to whip his you-know-what's out to say, hey, this is my decision. They're not pushing me out. They can't push me out. This is my decision to sell. And I'm fine with Bezos, but like I said to you the other day, this just reeks of trying to go back to Josh Harris to say, you better get to the $6 billion number or Bezos is going to come in, or it's that Harris and company can't get to the $6 billion number and Bezos is the only one that can. And I think like w- what I what I learned from over the weekend is that everybody still feels it's Harris. It's Harris for something a little bit less than $6 billion, and it's going to happen sooner rather than later in terms of the announcement 
of this, you know, letter of intent, term sheet, you know, exclusive period of negotiating, whatever, while the lawyers and the league approves it, the whole thing. Um, but that Dan's trying to, you know, as I had somebody text me the other day, it's Dan being Dan and basically trying to come back and say, nah, I need a little bit more. I need more than this. You're going to have to go out and find more investors and get me up to the $6 billion number. Um, and so, you know, again, and Tommy and I talked about this the other day. I don't even know if really anybody is on top of the story in real time or if what we're getting is like a week after the fact, like with the yes. Apostolopolis, uh, Apostolopolis guy. I, I, I whiffed on that. Apostolopolis. Um with that guy, whether or not that was a three week ago or two week ago or two month ago visit, I can tell you that I, I've, I think that this guy Apostolopoulos visited the facility and then said, nah, probably not for me. That's my guess on that, but I don't know for sure. And who knows? Maybe Dan in that recent post story where he's been telling the league, I got lots, lots of investors and you're going to love them and it's going to be a great price. Um, maybe he really does have all these people. All right. Let's, uh, did you watch any of the basketball this weekend? Absolutely. I, I, I love that, uh, Miami, uh, uh, they (laughs) (laughs) They came back to beat Texas yesterday. Yes. That's, that's the team. I love that game. I watched that. All right. Good. I mean, and you know what I loved about that game? What? Did Miami opponent? didn't have a three-point. Miami didn't have a three-pointer the entire second half. Nope, they didn't. They only had, they, came, they came back from thirteen down without making a three-pointer. That is true. That's why I love that game. All right, we got to get to the first game of the day where there was a very controversial call at the end. We'll get to the final four uh, and a bit more uh, when we come back after these words from a few of our sponsors. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. San Diego State looking for the win. Butler, get it in. A rope, hands it to Trammell. Three seconds, two seconds. Trammell drives. He's fouled. Darion Trammell will go to the free throw line. That was the final shot attempt for San Diego State. Controversial foul called on that play. Two really good games yesterday. San Diego State, Creighton, Miami, and Texas. The games on Saturday, you had the blowout of UConn over Gonzaga. Florida Atlantic, uh, Kansas State game was great. I'm not sure um, why uh, that Kansas State, uh, Kansas State's point guard gave up the ball there at the end of the game, Marquise Noel, rather than trying to create a shot for himself. Um, but that was a terrific game. I gave out Florida Atlantic and I gave out Creighton, so I was one and one in the Elite Eight games, fifteen and twelve overall in the Smell Test. Not great, uh, but you didn't lose any money betting with me in this tournament. We still got three games left. I want to go to the games yesterday because they're the ones that we watched yesterday, and it included a very controversial call in the first game, and then Jim Laranaga and Miami rallying in the second game. So let me give you my opinion on the final foul call on Nembhard against Trammell. 6.7 seconds left. Trammell beats Nembhard. He's able to turn the corner. He gets into a floater uh, position, and Nembhard clearly has his hand on Trammell's hip, pushing, pulling, grabbing. I think, personally, it probably impacted the shot a little bit. The floater was short. It missed. If no fouls called, the game's going to overtime. The foul was called, and Trammell made the second of two free throws. By the way, bad job by Doug, Doug McDermott, the coach of Creighton, who I like. But he called his last time out before the first free throw. That was a bad move. If he had missed, if he had made the first free throw, he then would have intentionally missed the second one, and Creighton would have been forced to just heave one from 90, you know, 80 feet rather than having a timeout left. But beyond that, um, so here's my take on this, Tommy. I just remember we had this conversation about uh, the Super Bowl at the end um, between yeah. Kansas City and Philadelphia, and I said, look, yes. the all coaches and players want more than anything else is they want the calls to go their way. But beyond that, they want it to be called consistently. So if you're calling something early in a game, there's an expectation that it'll be called at the end of a game. If you're not calling something early in the game or throughout the game, there should be the expectation that they're going to let you get away with it at the end of the game. And this game was a very physical game where the physical play and the contact was allowed throughout the game. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a terrible call because you don't decide a game that way. I don't believe that. I believe that if the call was made throughout the game, then make the call. But this was a game in which just 22 fouls 
were called, and only 17 free throws were shot. In fact, San Diego uh, State had just six free throw attempts in the game, including the final two. They were three for four before that in a game that was knocked down, drag out, physical, start to finish. They let them play all game long, and then they blew a whistle on what was more in line with kind of a touch foul, a foul literally, but not a foul that had been called throughout the game consistently. So I don't think it should have been called for that reason. I also had Creighton laying two and a half, so I wanted overtime. So I understand my lack of objectivity, but really and truly, it's the way I felt at the end of the Kansas City-Philadelphia Super Bowl, and it's the way I felt last night. That was a game where they let people bleed. And by the way, there were close-ups multiple times of blood on elbows, on knees. Uh, Nempard had his wrist you know, ripped from him, and it wasn't called. So I just didn't think that with the game the way it was called that Nembhard had you know a, a an expectation that this was a game that where they were letting him play and it wasn't like he hacked him okay there was a little bit of contact with a push and a shove and a hand on the hip that's my take on it what's yours well, you do think it's possible it could have affected the shot, right? I do think so, but I think a lot of shots were affected in that game and fouls weren't called. Well, well, this is one they saw. Look, this whole ridiculous argument, I think, is, you know, I, I understand the idea of arguing when a foul is, happens and it's missed by the referees. But when a foul happens and they call it, and then people argue they shouldn't have called it. It's kind of ridiculous to me, especially this. This this was as clear as as, as any foul. I mean, we we we've seen of late that's been controversial. I mean, I think I think it, this is ridiculous. I think you got to make that call. I think it was a foul too, but I don't think it should have been called because it hadn't been called all game. Well, I don't know if there was a that particular situation like that when you're up in the air. And somebody shoves you, I think it's a foul. I don't think he got shoved. I wouldn't describe it as a nudged. shove. How nudge? I think nudged is better yeah, than you, shoved. As, as, a, as a precise shooter like you are, you know <laughs> any little thing. Uh, that's you know, why I'm saying I th- you off. That's why I'm saying I think his floater, you could see that the nudge, the prod, the, the, little, the, the little poke, um, that he was kind of moved a little bit, you know. Now, let me just tell you, I don't know that he would have made that if there hadn't been contact, but I think it affected the shot. I do. I think it did. But again, they let people bludgeoned each other, bludgeon each other throughout the game without calling fouls, which is why, by the way, Creighton had a foul to give. You know, on the play before that, they gave the foul, which you know, they, they gave it a little bit too early um, with 6.7 seconds left. But it's why they still had a foul to give. I mean, you had very few fouls called. Teams weren't in the one-and-one or in the bonus. And it just, to me, that's that can't be called when you've called the game the way you've called it all game long. If you've called the game close and there are, you know, 40 fouls in the game and there are already 38 free throws shot in the game and you've made you've set the table for you you, you grab anybody, you nudge anybody, you know, you touch anybody. We're going to call it. But that's not what the expectation was in that Look, basketball. If you've been game. on the court 
in situations like that. You know that, that if that if they had been calling that the whole game, there's no way that player says, "Well, I better not touch him." They're going to call it oh, yes, foul. Absolutely, he's, he's, you do. Oh, bullshit! What are you he's talking doing about? Doing that no matter what. When you're playing the game in a game, on the line. When you're playing in a game, you know how the game's the being game, officiated and whether or not you can get close not, and you can hand check and you can. Sec, not with not with seconds left. It's all desperation at that point. Well, yeah, but you, I mean, if anything, regardless of how the game's being called, the last thing you want to do is even put yourself into a position where something could be called. So I don't agree with you on that. I, I, I think that he got beat. Let me just say, he got beat when, when Trammell turned the corner on him. And by the way, I thought Nembhard was not very good yesterday. And I thought the defense on him just wore him down, which is why at the end of that game he couldn't stay in front of Trammell. He turned the corner. He got into the lane for a good look for a game winner, no doubt. And by the way, yeah, at that point you're like, oh, fuck, I got beat. But you also don't want to foul him. You just kinda, you're just kind of you kind of hoping he misses at that point. Um, but uh, I, I think players are absolutely aware when they're playing of how a game's being officiated. There's no doubt. And I think coaches I are think, also aware I, I of that, too. I think at that point, uh, coaches are. I think at that point, it's desperation time for the player. Well, you would know. I don't think he's sitting you, there thinking. You would know. You played, for the, him. you played for the Knicks. You would know. <laughs> um, that was a great game. Uh, you know, and then by the way, they put the clock back on and they had all the, God, man, the, the replays in this tournament and the referees, can't we just get a group in New York that just whistles the, that just it, it, it communicates the call to the referees and we get a quick whistle and a one minute review and move on. It's been painful to watch some of these games. Um, yes, it has. they clearly ruled at the end that the clock didn't start on time, which is why they didn't give it three tenths of a second and potentially give Creighton the ball back. We actually don't even know whether or not they determined if it was Creighton's ball or San Diego State's ball there at the end. The other game, look, I, I, I talked about, not with you, I, on Friday's show, I talked about Jim Laranega, and I just said, I don't think I did this with you. I said, you know, when Laranega left Mason to go to Miami, I think most of us just thought he's going down there to take a job for three or four years and then retire in South Florida. He was at the time 61 years old. He had taken Mason to the Final Four. He had had, you know, a great run at, at George Mason. His last year in 2011, they beat Villanova in the first round of the tournament. And Tommy, I went on to tell everybody uh, that, you know, d- 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 they that don't remember that period of time. It was like two out of three years where where Jay Wright at Villanova either lost in the first round or didn't make it to the tournament. And every Villanova fan I know wanted him out. Um, And then he goes on to win two national championships. But anyway, um, oh, that's right. I had that conversation with Jeff Ehrman on Friday. Anyway, Laranega, you know, left. And I thought that this was kind of a swan song, you know, Three, four years, five years at Miami. Impossible to win in the ACC at Miami in basketball. He's not going to, you know, he's not, it's not, not like he's going to all of a sudden rule the roost in the ACC, and then that'll be it. Well, instead, he just finished his 12th year, um, fourth Sweet 16, second Elite Eight, first trip to the Final Four. Jim Laranag is a hell of a basketball coach. Yes, it's, he it, is. It's quite the run at Miami. Now, 
I know many of you have reached out to me to say, Sheehan, you haven't mentioned just the NIL money that's available at Miami. I know. I know how much NIL money Miami has. We saw it with the whole football thing, and they've got that big lawyer slash real estate guy. I forget the guy's name. And that, you know, they, they're paying some of their players really, really good money. But let me just suggest to all of you, all of you that Larinaga was doing this at Miami before NIL. They went to two Sweet 16s in his first five years. They won the ACC regular season in his second year with that point guard who I'm forgetting his name. Um, Quite a career this dude's put together. And I think he's up against the juggernaut of the tournament in UConn. But I kind of felt Texas was really good too. And it certainly looked that way as they had a 13-point lead. What a comeback by Miami. And as you pointed out, without shooting a three in the second half. Absolutely. You got anything else on that? <laughs> I got nothing else. Okay. Nothing else, boss. I just thought you might want to say something more about Jim Laranega. Um I uh I like in the final four, I kinda like Florida Atlantic to make it to the final. I think that would be pretty cool, a Florida Atlantic Miami final. Um but San Diego State, man, they are nasty defensively. Really good. All right, are we done for the day? It sounds like you're ready to go. I know you have have to be somewhere. Are we done? Do you have anything else to add to the uh, conversation? I got nothing else for you today, boss. Okay. Zero, not a zip. All right, you go do your thing, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Okay. I'll be back tomorrow.